Ah, well, it's good to be back. I uh, had the opportunity to uh, be away, and we, uh, I have two sisters. One lives in uh, Arizona and the other one in Wisconsin. And along with their spouses and Barb and I, we took my dad, who's 89 this year and has cancer, uh, on a cruise last week. And so uh, we just had a great time. It was just really fun. And uh, I think my dad really had a terrific time having his kids together. And then we just sat around, you know, every meal just kind of reminiscing about things that happened when we grew up, you know, and um, laughed a lot and, and, and so on and so forth. And, and in my quiet uh, kind of moments, I uh, just started to think about how my faith developed because we're just talking about the past. I gave my life to the Lord when I was seven at camp. And uh, it occurred to me that uh, for a long time when I first became a Christian, I think that I kind of missed out on the essence of what Christianity really is all about. I think what kind of came through to me in the beginning years of my experience with the Lord is that the essence of Christianity was about being good. That's kind of the message that uh, worked its way into my filters. And uh, it, it was about, you know, avoiding the seven deadly sins and trying to stay on the right side of God. And uh, when I thought about it, I thought, you know, my worldview is pretty much that um, uh, God... Uh, is the ultimate authority. And as the ultimate authority, the one who's in charge, the one who created us, and, and there's, that's not entirely wrong, is it? That God is, in fact, the ultimate authority. And uh, as I thought about that, I thought, well, the, obviously, if he's the ultimate authority, then um, I'm accountable to him. I mean, he created me. I understood that. And he's the authority, and I'm the created one, and so I'm accountable to him. That also is true and makes sense and so forth. And so in my mind, I reasoned that, you know, if I would do the right thing, then God would affirm me. And uh, I was focused on trying real hard to sort of do the right thing. That, and if I did that, that, that God would approve me. He would uh, affirm me. And if I could um, just do enough right things... Well, then maybe God would even accept me. And I got to thinking that, you know, as I grew up and so forth, this is the way a lot of people think about God. And I think deep down inside, the reality is that everybody wants to be accepted. Everybody wants acceptance. Uh, I, I think probably the motive behind an awful lot of what we do is really to gain acceptance. We all want to be Accepted Deep down inside, we have a, a heart that's been broken, and it craves for love and acceptance, and, and it's unable to rest or unable to find contentment, okay, until that acceptance is experienced. And so, basically, uh, by withholding acceptance, God can control the world. Kind of how I thought. Right? Because uh, if he just withholds that acceptance, I'm going to try harder to get it. And uh, the harder I try, the more I realize that i got to try harder to try to find that acceptance. And so in that way, God can control people's behavior, control the world. And that's how I sort of thought God related to people. You ever think like that? You ever apply that kind of scenario to your own experience with God? Well, in thinking about this, I realized what I eventually uh, came to understand is that's simply not true. It's not the way that God relates to people. And uh, as I thought about that, God's way of relating to people is something entirely different. In fact, it's the opposite. 
You know, God says in Isaiah chapter 55, your thoughts are not my, like my thoughts. And your ways are not like my ways. My thoughts and my ways, God says, are much higher than your thoughts and your ways. And I thought, well, this is our way of dealing with people. This is our way of approaching parenting. This is our way of dealing with relationships, friendships, marriages, and and so on and so forth. But the truth is, God is not motivated by control. He's motivated by love. Sometimes people will ask me the question, as Bob uh, prayed as we began our worship time this morning, you know, why is the world so out of control? If there's a God, why doesn't he control everything and make it better? Why doesn't he prevent these tragedies from happening? Well, what if God's primary motive in dealing with people is not control? What if it's love? What if it's true that God so loves the world, you and me, that he gave his only begotten son so that whosoever believes in him might not perish but have this great life that we're all after, this life of contentment, this life of satisfaction, uh, this life of acceptance. And uh, the Bible goes on to say in um, 1 John, you know, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Whoever doesn't love and doesn't understand this whole motive doesn't understand. And I want to suggest to you that God's way is um, love starts with acceptance. Starts with acceptance. First, God comes to us and says, I accept you. I want to meet that need in your heart for acceptance. I want you to understand that you are loved. And uh, what if that reality of God accepting us, Romans chapter 5, you know, while we're still sinners, Christ dies for us, God's acceptance of us is a gift. God's acceptance of us is a gift that he holds out to us, and it's based on what's in God, not what's in us. It's based on how great God is, not because we bring anything to the table. What if God's acceptance comes first? And it's the way of love. His acceptance of you is based completely on the blood of Christ. The determining factor in my acceptance by God is not my behavior, but Christ's behavior on my behalf, in my place. What if God is interested in dealing with people not so much by control, but by love? And that starts with acceptance, the opposite way of the way we think. God's love for us is very costly to him. But it's free to us. It's free to us. Uh, God's love is about Jesus paying a debt that he didn't owe because I owe a debt I cannot pay. And God, understanding our predicament, because he loves us, pays the price for us so that he can start in relating to people with acceptance. And so then, because God accepts me, he's also free then to affirm me. He begins to move in the opposite direction. He's free to affirm me. And you begin to think about this, and there's places in the scriptures that talk about this, that in spite of my uh, shortcomings and my failures, God affirms what he can, and one of the things that he affirms is that by his spirit, he affirms in our spirit that we are in fact his children based on what Christ has accomplished for us, Romans 8. 
that his spirit works in our spirit to affirm for us that we are, in fact, the very children of God. Even if I'm sin-laden, even if I'm biblically challenged, even if I'm spiritually handicapped, I am a child of God based on the precious blood of Jesus. Starts with acceptance and moves to affirmation. I'm his child, accepted and affirmed. I'm loved with a love that surpasses knowledge, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 3. And so then after experiencing this acceptance and this affirmation, and by the way, I think you experience God's acceptance and affirmation on two levels. The first level is by the very Spirit of God, making God's Word come alive in your spirit. It's the Holy Spirit causing the living Word of God to take root in your spirit, and you begin to believe the truth that God is telling us. That's the first level of experiencing acceptance and affirmation. But the second level, I think, is that we also have to experience this acceptance and affirmation from the body of Christ. The church. The church is the presence of Christ in the world today. So if I'm going to experience this acceptance and this affirmation, it's going to have to come from the church because the church is the mouthpiece of God today. The church is the recipient of this grace, this undeserved favor that God has put on us by the blood of Christ. The church is the presence of Christ. And so if I'm going to experience acceptance and affirmation, it's got to come from the body of Christ, from the people of the church, the dispensers of this grace. The people of the church are the possessors of God's truth. We are the recipients of this acceptance. We're the only ones who have it to give. And so if people don't experience the reality of love and acceptance and affirmation from each other, well, then we're sort of handicapped. But when we experience love from God in this fashion where acceptance and affirmation comes undeserved, people begin to believe maybe there's something to this Christianity. Maybe there's something to this that God actually does love people. Because when I watch the news and I think about all these terrible things, I think, wow, if God was in control, this wouldn't all be happening. Maybe he doesn't really exist. But when I experience the reality of acceptance and affirmation, you know, and uh, I, I perhaps begin to believe. And then, and then something happens to us when you experience acceptance and, and love and affirmation from God. Something happens to us. We start to love. That's why the Bible says, if you don't find in yourself this, this desire, this, com, this compelling desire to take this acceptance and affirmation and share it with the next person, something's wrong. Because something happens. Now, I thought about this. I, I, this is a confession on my part. I love the people who love me. You have that problem? If somebody, if I can sense and tell that somebody really loves me, and I have people in this church, an elder this past week said to me, you know, Dave, I love you, and I know he means it. Well, I'll tell you, I, I love that guy. <laughs> Don't you? Don't you love the people who love you? Of course you do. So if you experience, 
experience this reality of God's love in your life, you're going to love him back. Something's going to happen to you. When you experience that acceptance and that affirmation and it becomes reality, both at a spiritual level and at a church level, and you experience it, you're gonna, it's just going to well up in you a, a love back. It's going to change your life. And I think that's the way God intends it. You know, what does the Bible say? We love because he first loves us. Why do we love God? Well, because we experience the reality of his life. Think how significant the life of the church is in God's mind to make this experience real of acceptance and love, God's way of dealing with people. Think of the the, the privilege that's ours. When you think about what God is asking us to do, he's going to love us so much that we're going to turn around and love him and we're going to love one another because of this. We love because he first loves us. Nobody but God and God's people can do that. Nobody in the world loves like that or accepts people first, you know. And then all of a sudden in your life, there becomes this new motive, this new motif for your living, for your way of life. Three times in John chapter 14, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. You'll trust me. You'll obey me. Trust and obey. If you love me, you'll understand who I am. If you love me because you've experienced my love, you'll understand how much I'm for you. And you know that I would never tell you to do something that would be bad for you. You'll begin to trust me. You'll begin to obey me. You'll begin to walk in the freedom that comes with what James calls the perfect law, the law of freedom. And it's the law of love. And there'll be this desire Um, A new desire. You'll know who I am. I'm out for your best. And uh, it develops this desire to be um, accountable. Right? The next one up. Accountable. And all of a sudden we begin to realize, you know, God really is my personal authority. The Lord is my shepherd. Not just a shepherd or the big shepherd out there. My personal shepherd. Because I've experienced the reality of his acceptance, his affirmation, his love... And it changes me on the inside. And I desire this accountability. I desire uh, to respond to his authority and so forth. It's a desire to live for God as our ultimate authority. And we call it here at Trinity a God-first life. Just a God-first life. Like he is the ultimate authority, but it's come to us through his acceptance and his affirmation and through a desire to be accountable to him because of his love for us that we recognize his authority. And so... You know, I say to you, when, when, when you experience God's love, you can't help but love him back. So Monday night, last Monday night, we were here for a funeral um, for Vinnie Valenti. And uh, during the time afterwards down in the gathering hall, some of Vinnie's favorite music was playing in the air as people were uh, visiting and so forth. And an old Elvis song came up. And I listened to that song, and I had this on my mind, and I said, you know, we should sing that song as a hymn. And it's called, I Can't Help Falling in Love with You. You know that old song? I Can't Help Falling in Love. Now, I apologize. I know it's Elvis, and and it might not sound like a hymn to you at first and so forth, but I want to invite you to sing it with me this morning because if you've experienced God's acceptance and affirmation, I say you cannot help but fall back in love with God. And the one thing that God wants out of us more than anything else is that we would love him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. 
And so I thought, you know, this should be a hymn. Now, I changed a couple of words just to make it, you know, more appropriate. But um, uh, let's, let's try to sing this. Can you think can we can do this? Cheryl worked on putting it together for us. <clears throat> Why don't we stand and just stretch? by Dwayne Kellogg. Thanks. Please be seated. Okay, so when we become Christians, right, a whole new paradigm begins to govern the way we live. In John chapter 13, do you remember Jesus said, a new command I give you? If you were to ask the question, what's new in the New Testament? What's new in the New Testament? A new command, Jesus said, I'm giving you. Now, in one sense, it wasn't all that new because in the Old Testament, we're told to love one another as well. But here's what Jesus says. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. You must start with acceptance and affirmation. As I love you, you must love one another. Then, he says, Everybody will understand you're my disciples. The most important thing we can do when it comes to evangelism and the church is that we would love the way Jesus loves us. He says, you must do this. 
or people won't see any difference in your life you know from everybody else what's new in the New Testament well this is the new command that we love like Jesus loves us and in order for Jesus to accept us and to start with acceptance he had to die to himself lots of things are important to him think of him he was absolutely holy and pure he comes into the world and it's like being in a cesspool of sin and in order for him to accept us with all of our blemishes he's got to die to a portion of himself he's hanging on the cross and the people are killing him and spitting him and, and, and he's like father forgive them they don't get it they don't understand what they're doing how do you love like that well you got to die to yourself you gotta you gotta let go and die to ourselves and uh, and then we got to do it long enough until the other person becomes uh, generates a desire inside the spirit generates a desire for them to be obedient or accountable and ultimately to recognize God as their only authority and so in our text this morning you, you're wondering are we ever going to get to Peter yes here we are first Peter chapter 1 verse 22 just one verse today a transitional verse um, verse 22 let me read it for you it says this now that you have been purified now that you've become a Christian now that you are accepted and affirmed and washed by the blood of Christ now that you have this new identity in Christ now that you have been purified yourselves by obeying the truth or believing the truth so that you have a sincere love for your brothers now that you've been purified now that you've become a Christian now that you've got this new identity in Christ right by obeying or believing the truth of the gospel um, and I'm pretty sure that the truth is reference to the gospel because that's what Peter's been talking about all the way through this chapter up until this point so that you have a sincere love for the church for your brothers and sisters why because this is vital for God's plan to spread the gospel that we would be able to love like he loves us that we would experience that acceptance and affirmation and it would so transition us that we now that we're Christians now that we're pure uh, by obeying the truth the truth of the gospel about how God relates to people leading with acceptance based entirely on Jesus sacrifice for us now that we've been purified by God's acceptance now that we have nothing to prove love people love one another put yourself out there right the word is phileo uh, the, it means brotherly love it's the same word we get Philadelphia from uh, the city of brotherly love right and uh, and this word um, purified in the Greek um, it's a it's called a perfect participle and a perfect participle means it's something that has been accomplished in the past but it carries into the present you have been purified there was a date at which you trusted Christ and in that instant God purified your life washed you clean accepted you in Christ and uh, because you have been purified but the consequences of that are still in the present you are still purified you say oh but I've accumulated a lot of sins between then and then. yeah I know but what happened then is equally as powerful and and in in place today as it was the day you first trusted him that's the power of the gospel 
Uh, the consequences or the effect of that purity carry into the present. And so when you became a believer and you were declared pure by God based on Jesus' blood, that condition is still the truth about you today. And we're not in the habit of thinking that. If we start with authority and we think of accountability and then we think maybe of a little bit of affirmation and then ultimately someday maybe be accepted, we're not in the habit of thinking like that. But if we reverse that and we recognize the power of the gospel, and again, I think you can tell if you've entered into that experience of God's love because you'll notice a change in yourself. You'll have a sincere love for your brothers and sisters. And that's what Peter is saying. Now, 1 John chapter 3 says, we know that we have passed from death to life if we love the brothers and sisters. How can you know that you're a Christian? How can you know that you've really embraced Christ? Well, it will change the inside of you. You will become a lover. You will love the person who loves you, Jesus. You can't help it. And uh, if that becomes real and you have that experience, um, the, the Bible goes on and says, anybody who doesn't love remains in death. That's like the telling mark of whether or not we've really embraced Christ. And so Peter says, once that happens, then the word is phileo. It means brotherly love. You know, it's a recognition that we have the same father. We share the same blood, Christ's blood, that makes us brothers and sisters. We have the same big brother in Jesus. Hebrews talks about him as our big brother. Uh, we, we have the same spirit uh, who is promoting the same nature. And so Peter commends his readers for having a brotherly kind of love for one another. A, a, a church that, you know, treats one another like brothers and sisters. But then Peter goes on to give some instructions. And here's the challenge from this verse, in verse 22. He's like, now that you've purified yourselves by obeying and believing the truth, so that you have this love for your brothers and sisters, here's the challenge. Now go on past that and love, and now the word changes. It's agape. It's a different, it's not brotherly love anymore. It's godly love or sacrificial love. So now that we have this brother and sister kind of love go, and that's great, Peter says, but go on past that and love one another deeply from the heart. Go on and love one another. Take the risk and uh, jump in. Fools rush in and love. And they're not sure it's going to ever come back. You see? But Peter says, look, now that you've got this kind of brotherly love, Go on and love one another deeply from the heart. It's John 13 where Jesus says, A new command I give you that you love like I loved you. Like I came into this world and went to that cross in order that I might reconcile you to God. Now you go and love like I love. In order that people might be reconciled to God, that the gospel might go forward. It's a love that starts with acceptance and affirmation before it looks for accountability, and it's sacrificial. It'll cost you. You'll have to die to some things that are important to you. Uh, this kind of love is radical. It's godly. It's sacrificial. I think this kind of love can revolutionize any marriage. I think this kind of love can revolutionize any family, any friendship, any church. Now that we love one another like brothers and sisters, go on past that and love one another deeply from the heart like Christ Loved you. Uh, that word deeply is also translated perhaps in your Bible as fervently. It's actually an athletic term. And uh, it has to do with the idea of striving with all of your might. Love one another deeply. Go out of your way 
Sometimes people will get in a small church, and I think small churches are great because that's where we can love one another beyond just seeing each other for a half an hour on a Sunday morning and having coffee together. But when we get together, we start reading the Word together. We start sharing what we think the Word means to us. We start sharing our lives, start praying for one another. Nobody can do that with hundreds of people, but you get in a small church, and you have a dozen or so people, and you begin to get to know each other, and something always happens. It's like you're either going to go on and love these people deeply in spite of the way that they bother you, or you quit. Because when you get close to people, I've always remembered this little illustration that uh, people, uh, it's like porcupines who are trying to keep warm on a cold night. Right? They, they want to keep warm, so they want to get close to each other. But the closer they get, the more they stick each other. The more they get to know each other, the more annoying they become to each other. Right? It's kind of, it happens in, in relation. It happens in a small church. But those are precisely the times where we can demonstrate this love of acceptance and affirmation and look for what we can affirm in order that people might experience this reality and get to that point where they have this desire born of the Spirit of God to be accountable and and to put themselves every aspect of their lives under the authority of God. And that's where people find freedom. I can't help falling in love with the person who first loves me. And you and I as the church are the body of Christ, the presence of Christ in the world today. And so love one another fervently. It means to keep working at it. Love is a a skill, right, that is given to us by God. And like any skill, it needs to be worked out to be perfected, right? I don't know, maybe you're watching basketball, the playoffs are on, and you watch some of these guys and the skill they have, but they've, they've had to work out, work out, work out in order to get to that point of perfection. And, and the same thing is true of Christianity. The Bible says in Philippians, you know, work out your salvation with fear and trembling because it's God who's at work in you. God has put this stuff in us, but he's given it to us to work it out. And so that's what I think Peter is saying here. He's saying, go on and love one another deeply, fervently. Uh, work it out. Take that reality of my acceptance and my affirmation of you and work at it in order to pass it on to the next person. And when you realize that God sacrifices, you sacrifice. When you realize that God speaks the truth in love, you start speaking the truth in love. When you realize that God forgives, you start forgiving. And it's all part of this acceptance and affirmation that is so powerful. If we had time, we could uh, just go on to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You know, love is patient. God is patient. Dave is patient. Question mark. Right? God is kind. Right? God is kind. Dave is kind. Question mark. And you just go through 1 Corinthians 13. All that love is all the way God treats us. And when Jesus says, now you love like I love you. And you just ask that question, put a question mark, put your name in there and put a question mark behind all of it and ask, is that the way I live? Is that my way of life? Is that the new motive, the new motif in my life? Because it reflects the reality of the presence of God. In the New Testament, What's called for isn't following some particular ethical uh, list of rules or some traditions. It's more than that. God wants your heart. Love one another deeply from the heart. And he calls us to give up our own reasonable interest to a higher objective, a higher authority than ourselves in the interest of seeing the gospel spread and of God receiving the glory that he so deserves. It's a sacrificial kind of love. And uh, it's a love that uh, eventually uh, sees God as the authority in every single corner of our life. A new command I give you, Jesus said. Love one another 
as I have loved you. Acceptance first, affirmation second, accountability, authority, but in that order. Not control, but love. It's a love that starts with acceptance. And uh, I think it'll take you dying to yourself to love other people like that. I know it will. It's a love that starts there <clears throat> and ends in a great place with God. In first, uh, I think no wonder Peter writes this. In First Peter 4, chapter 8, when we get there, here's what he says. Above everything else, above all. Chapter 4, verse 8. Above all, love each other deeply. Same word, fervently. Love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. 1 John 2.2 2 says that when Jesus died on the cross, he died not just for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. From God's perspective, the sins of the world are forgiven. 1 John 2.2. 2. It's a radical verse. But in practical reality, there are many people walking around who have no clue that by Jesus' blood they could be accepted by God and experience the love of God. And God's spirit is at work in the world, and God has left his church to bring that experience to reality in people's lives. So when you treat somebody better than they deserve, and you bring the love of Christ, the acceptance of Christ, the affirmation of Christ into that person, they have an experience of this love. And they begin to believe maybe there really is something to this God who they say loves me. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and Father, we're, we're always so thankful for the Bible, for your word. We're so thankful for what you teach us. And this morning, especially when we think about the nature of your love and how um, counterintuitive it is to the way the world is, how different uh, your love is from the world's way. I pray, Heavenly Father, that we would see uh, in our hearts, in our spirits, the radicalness of your love and your acceptance of us and what a difference it makes in our life and how it transforms us and the power of the gospel in our life to just make us into new people. And that we would recognize that you've entrusted that to us in order that we might, in fact, you know, begin to treat one another the same way so that the world around us can see that there really is something powerful to the gospel, to the shedding of your blood for our sins to make us right with you and that it's, so, it's such a practical uh, transformation. We become a new creation when we turn to Christ. And uh, may that new creation be evident, Father, to the world around us that they might be drawn to you through us. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Amen.